Yeah, and that's why I really encourage people to, when they're developing any sort of data collection tools or planning their evaluation, to include your stakeholders and definitely your frontline staff. They're, they are the ones that are going to know like what's important for us to know. They are going to know um, what's actually feasible um, and what is going to work well with your participants. You're listening to the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast, brought to you by KevKayat.com. Kev helps nonprofit leaders deliver more impact faster and easier, so they can be mission accomplished in 40 hours a week or less. For more information, visit KevKayat.com. Because good causes deserve better results. Now... Here is the host of Nonprofit Problem Solver, Kev Kayat. Hello, Kev Kayat here. Welcome to Nonprofit Problem Solver, brought to you by Yachtme, the virtual events platform 100% free to nonprofits, and PodPro Audio, making professional podcasting easy. Thanks for tuning in. Just to be clear, you are actually the Nonprofit Problem Solver. As host, My job is to extract from our guests the practical, tactical expertise that you can put straight into action. This is a recording of a live event hosted on Yachtme. I mentioned it's uh, 100% free to nonprofits, right? Find out more at whyyachtme. That's Y-H-Y dot Y-O-T dot M-E. You can join me on these live events every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. Register at yacht.me or nonprofitproblemsolver.com. You can find me, Kev Kayat, at kevkayat.com, as well as on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Clubhouse. Join the Nonprofit Problem Solver Club on Clubhouse and the Nonprofit Problem Solver Facebook group to get all the latest practical tactical advice on being the best nonprofit entrepreneur you can be. Check out my coaching programs at nonprofitentrepreneur.com. I wish I had a dollar for every time I've heard a nonprofit say that now that they've been running their programs for a while, or someone's finally asked to see their results, they're going to start measuring and monitoring outcomes. Hint, if you're not measuring, start now. You'll probably use a spreadsheet to get started, but how long will that serve you? Evaluation expert, Michelle Molina chats to me about the signals that tell you when it's time to move on to dedicated software or actually just make better use of the spreadsheets you already have. Welcome to the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast. Uh, We are now at episode 30. Uh, We're going to be talking today about when our spreadsheets are no longer good enough with my guest, Michelle Molina. But first, let me uh, welcome everybody who's listening. If you are active in the chat, we will try and pick up all your comments, all your questions, and incorporate them into our conversation. Let me also say thank you to uh, Yachtme and to PodPro Audio for sponsoring the podcast and making it happen. It wouldn't without them, so I'm very grateful. Uh, And uh, let me turn now and introduce Michelle Molina. How are you? Hi, I'm happy to be here. My first time at a, in a podcast, so I'm very excited. <laughs> well, I'll try and go easy on you then. Um, <laughs> no, no, no difficult questions. No, um, uh, no, no, no real challenges. Uh, but uh, you know, I was, as as always with the nonprofit problem solver, we're trying to speak to uh, people with some expertise and address a problem 
that nonprofits have and uh, managing their data, doing evaluations, uh, trying to demonstrate impact uh, is definitely something that every nonprofit faces at some point, if not several points <laughs> along their, mm -hmm. uh, their journey of existence. So uh, before we get into that, though, tell us a little bit about yourself and where you are and uh, what uh, has brought you, what, what your experience in nonprofits has been thus far. Yeah, so I got into evaluation uh, very early on. I randomly took a class when I was an undergrad on program evaluation just because I needed a class with a lot of credits. Um, and I absolutely <laughs> fell in love with it and have been doing it ever since. Um, most of my work now focuses on organizations that are part of collaboratives. Um, and I provide some support to like the backbones of collaboratives to help them think about what sort of data they should be collecting um, and considering together and also helping the initiatives or projects under those collaboratives to measure um, their effectiveness and consider how they might improve or adapt. Um, so I've been doing it for a while now and I absolutely love it. I love helping people who are working to make the world a better place and helping them get the information they need to make those improvements and adjustments um, so that they can make decisions. So that's why I love evaluation because it gives me the tools to help people. Yeah, that's great. What a, a brilliant spirit around service. So how can people find you online? We'll do this again at the end, but just uh, uh, in case people are listening and want to be able to check you out and reach out to you, how would they do that? I think the easiest place is to go to my website, so connectingevidence.com. And I also have a very, very small YouTube channel that I'm um, planning to be more active in this year. Um, so that's also called Connecting Evidence. And you could also follow me on LinkedIn. I think I'm most active on LinkedIn. Um, so look for me, Michelle Molina. And um, I'm a little active on Twitter, but not so much. And there, I believe my handle is um, connecting data. Connecting data. Okay, excellent. So uh, let's talk about the main problems you see when you're dealing with nonprofits and say you're brought in to help a nonprofit understand their data or to evaluate their programs. What are some of the first questions that you ask yourself or might be asking of the executive director or the program director or the program manager? What are you, what are you trying to find out first and foremost? Usually where I start is I try to consider what they're already doing. So what data are you already collecting? What sort of concepts are you already exploring? And to what extent has that information been useful to you? Um, I think that's really important because uh, a lot of people um, a lot of the organizations I work with are, have already started collecting some data. Um, so it's a good place to start and think about how, what is actually useful and what should we continue doing. Um, on the other hand, if you're very new, I think the, the main question is like, where do I start? What do I collect data on? What tools do I use? Um, so there, usually the first thing I recommend is doing something like a theory of change where you basically list out the things you want to do and the changes you want to see and sort of clarify how those two things are interconnected. And that helps you really consider 
um, what sort of outcomes or what sort of changes we should be collecting data on in the short term. So do you find, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to ask then, what about people who haven't started doing any measurements mm -hmm. at all? Uh, and I did a, uh, a brief poll in my Facebook group, Nonprofit Problem Solver, and asking people about where they were with their impact measurement. And, uh, you know, I think a, a number of people are like, measurement sounds like something we should be doing. You know, was was one of the answers, and and more than one uh, uh, chose that. So people have been around for a little while, at least, and and still not measuring anything. So you talk about a theory of change, which is, um, I guess, how could what do you have a standard definition that you use to explain what a theory of change is? Yep. Basically, I say usually that it's some sort of document, it could be a narrative, a picture, whatever it is, uh, that clarifies how the things you do or your activities are connected to the changes you want to see or your outcomes. Um, I know that other evaluators have like stricter definitions, um, mm -hmm. but I, I, I think that's pretty general and really encompasses what you want to do. Uh, you just want to clarify the work you do and how you believe change happens. And it doesn't have to be something that is set in stone. It's what you think is happening as of right now. It's a document that is a working document. So you should be open to changing it, adjusting it as your programs or activities change, your outcomes are going to change. So it's something that should be very flexible. Um, and the purpose of the document uh, is really the development process. So clarifying how you think your program works or your initiative works is really the magic of, of developing a theory of change. Like getting that clarity is what you're looking for, not necessarily the document itself, although it's easy to have it around when you need to right, share right. it with others. Yeah. Right. But th so in an ideal world, we do a theory of change at the beginning of program design mm -hmm. saying, OK, we believe that if we do these things, we will be able to uh, create the, the change and the impact that we are after. And you said it's it's theory. So it could be at a narrative level and so on. It's not until you get into the details of the program that you get to. And I'm going to I'm going to geek out here. And I should have done a warning at the very beginning about uh, two data geeks talking about data and spreadsheets. But uh, where the, it, when you get into the details is when you start to think of uh, and you hear words like logic models uh, and, mm -hmm. and the detail about step by step. And, and the, the term I, I use and people will be familiar with is is an impact statement and an impact journey, which is uh, sort of simplified versions of, of this sort of theory of change and, and an impact journey. Uh, but people often don't start there. They have programs already going, uh, and 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 then have to. What do they do when they if they don't have a formal theory of change? Do they then sort of create one based on what they've learned so far because it's it's going to change, as you said. Or what what do you advise they do? Yeah, wherever you are, I would say get something down on paper, and it's really about getting a few stakeholders together, people who are familiar with the work you're doing to really have a brainstorm session about how does this program work and what are we working towards? So what are those short-term outcomes and, and why are we even doing this? So I think a lot of times people, we all have the best intentions with any of the work we do, I think, especially if you're in the nonprofit space. I think a lot of people are very passionate about their organization's mission and 
you just kind of want to clarify how are these specific things we're doing going to contribute to that change we want to see in the future? Um, what's the path to get there? Uh, so, so if you do, if you're already doing your initiative and your program, I would say just take a stab at it, go forward and do it and see what comes up. And it's a good way to create like a, a shared vision or a, a shared sense of what's happening with other people in your organization and make and other stakeholders, because you can see where you might be differing in terms of how you think change happens. Like what are the different assumptions you're making about how change happens and um, whether or not you're all on the same page and believe you're working on the same thing together. Uh, and, and the goal is to have something down so that you can be thoughtful about, okay, well, what should we collect data on? What are, if we are on the right track, what would we see in a few months or what would we see right after somebody leaves this program or initiative? Like what are the changes we can actually measure uh, that will help us collect some evidence that we're on the right track? Yeah, that's that's great. That's a really good explanation of how it, it all hangs together. Do you uh, do you find that people, when they have those conversations around theory of change and what they expect to see, then get into some of the details about how the program works, say step by step, for initiatives, for example, or interventions or programs that last a while? You know, not just a you know come for the afternoon sort of thing. But those that where you're going to be engaged with the people that you serve for weeks or months or longer, that there are stages to the program and uh, folks start to get into uh, how each of the phases or stages is, is meant to work, what they're meant to achieve. Yeah, ideally you would talk, especially if you have different stages of the work you're doing and you're hoping to see um, different things at different times for the people who are participating that should definitely be part of the conversation. Um, I think the easiest pitfall when people are developing a theory of change is they get caught up uh, in semantics and um, it's not, it goes into a place where it's like, okay, well, let's talk about the wording as opposed to, uh, of talking about the, the, con the general idea of what we're working towards. And sometimes I feel like, it can lean into like procrastination as opposed to like, okay, what, it is, what is it that we're really doing um, as opposed to like, let's make sure the wording's right. So I think that's the biggest pitfall I've noticed where people, um, you know, spend time um, workshopping the language. And that's great. Uh, but like I said, a lot of times your theory of change should adjust and change over time. So it's never going to be a finalized document. So that's not the point. But yeah. I definitely think that if you are doing some sort of work where you expect there to be different phases in the sorts of changes you would see from participants, that should be definitely part of the process. And I think I saw one of your previous videos where you do the, the journey map, and that's definitely an activity that people should engage in and consider for a number of reasons, not just as like thinking about what sort of changes they would expect but what are the potential like touch points or data collection activities yeah. or where can people step in and collect data in a natural way yes and that and that's exactly the point of the the impact journey so uh, you mentioned people thinking about what you could measure what changes you could see when someone's left a program 
uh, when that, then I think there's you know whole infrastructure questions asked around how you track people and find that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the for for me in terms of programs, what happens between the start and the end of the program is is what's critical, so that you know that it's working in the way that you designed, uh, way that you hoped, and that people are moving through it. So the idea of the of the steps and the impact journey is, as you mentioned, there's an opportunity there to collect data. Uh, but mm-hmm. not whether you should or not, I suppose, is a different question, isn't it? Yeah, I would say you always have to be considerate of your participants and um, be thoughtful about what you're going to ask them and why. I always like to think of it as a first date. Um, so if you're just meeting someone for the first time, you're not going to ask them very like personal questions and and things that might you know make them feel uncomfortable uh, because that leaves a sour taste in their mouth. So you have to think about okay, what's appropriate for us to ask at this point, given the level of trust we have with our with the people we're asking questions. Great point. From great point. Yeah, because that's and that really that really affects the what you I guess what you're saying is that if you if you ha- are intrusive with your data gathering, you can uh, affect the program's effectiveness. Yeah, yeah, and also your data is not going to be very accurate because people are not going to answer as honestly as they would otherwise if they had trust in you. Yeah, Uh, so yeah, one of the things that uh, people bore of uh, hearing me say is that there's there's nothing easier than a bad questionnaire or bad survey, Uh, and and uh, people can go easy now, particularly with the digital tools, and just put loads and loads of questions and loads of answers and not really think through how the data will be used, what's it for, uh, and so on. Because the, the, the one factor that's not talked about, and I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like your views on, is the cost, not just in, in money, but in time and effort, uh, in doing data well, in doing evaluation mm-hmm. well and having data. And so having loads and loads of it isn't actually better than having less, <laughs> Because you 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 know it's a quality issue as opposed to a, a quantity one. Uh, how 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 does that conversation around the the cost of the time and effort come to bear in the in the nonprofits you work with? I think a lot of times uh, people don't like data and don't like evaluation because they don't see it as useful to the day to day work they're doing. So it's almost like okay, well now I have to set. 20 minutes aside from the work, the real work to collect data. Uh, And it seems almost separate. Uh, And that happens because people are collecting data that's not not useful. Uh, So when you're collecting anything, you have to think about why you're going to use it and how it's going to help your organization ultimately achieve its mission. So is are these data going to help you make adaptations, make improvements? Is it going to help you understand if you're achieving outcomes? Is it gonna help you make decisions? Is it gonna help you like make your case to potential donors or funders? If it's not gonna do any of that, you should not collect that information. It's, yeah, that's that's a great yeah. a great rule. I, I I often say to people the the simple question is that you're asking in all these cases, just with le- different levels of detail, is is our program working? Yeah, it, it, is it working as it should? Is it working for these people at these times at this step? You can go into great detail and and chop at it uh, however much uh, in much however in however much detail as you like. 
but ultimately that's what you're trying to find out. And it, and it amazes me when people say, just as you, just as you described, I've heard it a million times. Why are we collecting this data? It's no use. It's not the real work. Uh, and, and I think you hit the nail on the head there. So they're obviously collecting the wrong data because the frontline staff don't see it as relevant or, and, or <laughs> they're not, they might be collecting the right data, but no one's using it. No one's doing anything with it. And, and the, the, the frontline staff collecting it don't ever see any results of their, of that part of their work. And it's a shame because if they get that wrong in the initial collection, the data is relatively useless for the life of, for its whole, uh, life cycle in the in the organization mm -hmm. yeah you i think the math you know you've done a good job when your frontline staff wants to get the information uh and it really is just that they're they want to know if they're doing a good job because they care about the work they're doing so that's a great soft metric if, if i know we're talking about evaluation yeah. and, and <laughs> metrics but that's a great way for people who are trying to do this work to understand whether they're on the right track. Do the frontline staff who would be collecting it value it and, and want to know? Is it something that they themselves want to know in terms of understanding whether they're doing a good job? I think that's a, that's a great sort of litmus test for uh, collecting data. Yeah, and that's why I really encourage people to, when they're developing any sort of data collection tools or planning their evaluation to include your stakeholders. And by that, I mean, like anyone who might have a stake in your program is considered a stakeholder and definitely your frontline staff. They're, they are the ones that are going to know like what's important for us to know. They are going to know um, what's actually feasible um, and what is going to work well with your participants. For example, I can't come into an organization and say, here, I use this survey and walk away because I don't know, like, is it in the participants language? Do, will they like to sit down and have a survey or would a discussion be better? Um, those are the sorts of things that frontline staff are going to know and why they should be included in the decision making process when you're deciding, like, what sort of questions to ask, what sort of data collection tools to use and, and that sort of thing. Yes, and that's a great point to uh, one of the tensions I see is I think like you, uh, or sorry, I would assume that, sorry, like me, <laughs> you would uh, be in favor of a certain amount of standardization in the way we evaluate our programs. Uh, unfortunately, even within a grant maker foundation, I've spoken to many a program manager in a grant making foundation who admits that they don't even have standardized metrics or measures in the programs that they themselves fund and mm -hmm. they get frustrated by getting a wide range of metrics from within their own <laughs> within their own portfolio if you will however there's a limit to the standardization because if we want to involve stakeholders in a genuine way we have to be flexible about how we do that and there's got to be some balance there but i have not seen any examples of where that balance has been struck well uh, and I don't know if you've if you've come across any. Yeah, I, and I would say it's definitely difficult. I think in terms of standardization, what people can do, especially funders, is to um, be open with the grantees and and have an open conversation where both people have, um, a, you know power to make decisions uh, about what sort of information would be useful to gather and what sort of information is necessary. And 
some of the best ways I've seen it is where there is like a range of options for people to pick from and uh, uh, maybe like an other where people can advocate like, okay, none of these options are going to work for our organization for these reasons. Uh, here is what we propose instead. Um, and I, I imagine the, the reason why standardization might be a good thing is because then you can look across and see what's working. But the truth is um, every context is different. So what works in one organization is not going to work in another. So you might have the same survey, but because it's not working or a good fit for one organization, your data might not be um, as comparable as it would be otherwise. So it's better yeah. to have like a range of data collection methods that explore similar topics and spend that time like making sense of the data and what you know you're getting uh, and really like being thoughtful about it as opposed to saying like let's just standardize it everybody has to measure um, this concept using this particular tool uh, because you're not going to get as useful data yeah it's a, i think it's a it's a false hope there uh, and you're right mm -hmm. uh, and i think you made a great point there that probably haven't considered in, in sufficient detail is that the the limits of standard is we have to limit our standardization to a certain extent because the problems that we're trying to address through our programming are themselves not standard. So mm -hmm. the communities that we serve are not standard. <laughs> the way we serve them is not standard. And so our, our data really couldn't be uh, either. It would give us, uh, it would misrepresent what's really going on. Do you find in the collaborative work that you are supporting at the moment that they've been able to achieve some form of standardization or, or even in that case, there's a limit? Uh, there's definitely a, a limit um, just because everybody, a, a lot of organizations, especially in a collaborative, people have like an, more of, especially different organizations have uh, an equal amount of power. So if they want to go and use their own tool, that's totally up to them. Uh, and I think that it's a benefit because then we can make sense of it uh, on our own time. I think where the standardization it is possible is like for the backbone team for us to think about how are we documenting progress um like how are we documenting um what facilitated change what were the challenges the things that helped us like get uh move past challenges or barriers uh that sort of information can be standardized but it's still very open so it's still very flexible because we are asking open, very open-ended questions and it's more of a, a place where we're documenting as opposed to collecting like hard numbers. Yeah, I, again, I think it matters with the age or the maturity of the programs that we're, we're talking about. So you wouldn't want to standardize too early in the life of a program anyway. Um, mm -hmm. does, that, does that make sense? Okay, yeah, so we've... Yeah. we've <laughs> we've we've bounced around this that idea. I want to get to our sort of title question here about when spreadsheets are no longer good enough. But we've, I think, what we're trying to do here is set the scene of what data looks like for real in uh, in many nonprofits and what people are struggling with, regardless of whether they are using uh, spreadsheets or whether they're collecting uh, data at all. Now, the first the first time you start to collect things, you're going to start jotting them down on, you know, in a phone app or, or, yeah. or a tablet <laughs> app or, you know, try and, and just make some sense of uh, with, you know, whether it's Excel or 
or, or Google Sheet, and I'm sure there are other types of spreadsheets available out there. Uh, but uh, at, at some point, uh, pretty early on in a program's life cycle, the idea of collecting everything on a spreadsheet just becomes impossible. Yeah, so there are limits to Google Sheets and Excel. Um, for example, I looked it up, and there are you could only have like 40,000 um, 40, rows, if I looked it up correctly, in a Google Sheet. <laughs> only uh, only 40,000 know, rows. <laughs> but if you imagine, if, you're, if you've worked for like 10 years in a particular field, and every single time you collect a survey from one participant, it's a new row, that's pretty, can easily, like not not easily easily but it can be limiting uh so but but i think uh, spreadsheets can go a very very long way um and when you should switch over to something more like a database i think is when you have the resources to maintain it if it and before you even have that conversation, I think it's better to think about, okay, well, are we collecting information that's useful? Um, because if you're not, it doesn't matter where you're housing it. Um, so once you figure out, okay, yes, we're collecting information that's useful, um, then you should say, do we have the resources to maintain the database? And that means, do we have like staff time do we, to input the information in a way that it needs to be inputted? Uh, to staff time to like grab that information back in a way that's easy to understand for whoever it is that's going to use it. Uh, that that's going to take some time to maintain, and it takes some, some level of skill and knowledge about how to use a, a database. So if you're struggling to use a spreadsheet, you're you probably will struggle even more to use a database. And then there's there's certain options, I think, especially for like relationship management and managing like information or data about donors and their giving. I think that's a good place where a database is useful. And there's a lot of tools out there that are especially geared for that. So it's an easier way in as opposed to like creating a database management system for your program data, because that's going to take a lot of thinking in terms of what's actually useful uh, and setting it up is going to take a lot of time. And then being able to pull it back reports that are useful to you are going to take a lot of time. So I, if you're going to use a database, I would start with using it for like fundraising sort of data. So and, and as you said, there are lots of, uh, Lots of tools out there because the data is just like we were talking about is relatively standard in terms of what yeah. information you want in in a, in a, in from it from your donor base. So people should really move off spreadsheets to their CRMs relatively quickly. And I think that's that's pretty well understood. I think people recognize that, but it's a different question with the programs, and it's probably worth mm-hmm. probably worth distinguishing what the virtues of a spreadsheet versus a a, a database are. Yeah. Yeah, so it, in a spreadsheet, um, um, it's a basically a table, right? We have a row where it, it ideally each person would have their own individual row. Uh, maybe they have um, one row for each 
time point in data collection. Uh, uh, and then each column is a different characteristic or variable about them. Um, so as you might imagine, there are some variables that may change across time. So things like your address changes across time. You're the same person, but your address changes. So if an organization wants to track all your addresses across time, that can get very messy because then you have like one address uh at one point and then you have to go in and update the address and maybe delete the information that was previously there uh so if you want to collect information that is going to change throughout time and you want to keep every you, you don't want to delete prior information so you don't want to delete the person's prior address you want to keep it that means you have to add another column if you're using a, a spreadsheet but if you're using a database, there's ways to manage it so that it, you don't have to delete the prior information. Um, so just like address changes throughout time, there are other variables that might change throughout time. For example, if you do like a pre and post test, you're asking the same questions, uh, but now you have the same set of questions uh, for a different time period. So you can have columns for each one in a, in a spreadsheet, or in a database, you can um, package the data um, more effectively uh, and make it easier to manage because it's not in an unwieldy, like a very long spreadsheet. spreadsheet. Yeah. yeah, the spreadsheet, um, it doesn't take a lot of uh, program participants to make an Excel spreadsheet or Google Sheet uh, really messy really quickly, particularly if you've mm -hmm. got uh, several steps to your program. If, if your program lasts for any length of time it's it's one thing if you're just doing a it's like a one-off class or something and you just have a, a class list and some other basic information then that that's pretty simple uh but if you're if you're keeping people in the program for a while and doing uh, engaging them in different ways and, and evaluating at different points your, your spreadsheet is just going to be almost impossible to, to to maintain uh pretty pretty quickly but a database um, I always sort of felt the difference, like if you open Excel, it's just a table there waiting for you to type into it, almost like a, a Word document. Um, mm -hmm. It just says, you know, use me as however you want. Whereas if, if you open up a, a database, I don't know how many people use Access any longer, but, you know, those sort of, those sort of things, the, the first question is, are you allowed to come in here? Do you know, what, yeah. do you, do you know how the data is structured? There's all the, like, the, the, the yeah. data integrity is, is front and center, whereas with spreadsheet is almost like, uh, it's almost like scratch paper <laughs> in some cases. Come just, in you do whatever you want, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's not and very, been... yeah. So you can't protect the data in, in Excel in the same way. It's very easily lost or manipulated or, um, and, and sometimes yeah. that's better, I suppose, when you're doing an analysis, but not to store the data. Yeah, especially if you're going to have, if you're an organization that's collecting information that is, um, I forget what it's called, but it's like uh, personal protected information, I think. I forget what yeah. the PCI. exact term. Yeah, personal yeah. confidential um, information. Yeah, and that's any sort of information that's identifiable. So their name, address, um, anything like that. You want to be careful about who has access to that information uh, because if you are HIPAA compliant, uh, or need to be and a lot of organizations even if you don't have to be HIPAA compliant it's just good practice 
to and, that, to and HIPAA place. for those who don't know is a data security uh, protocol for uh, for health care data. Mm -hmm. And there's a similar yeah, one you. for education uh, and for youth and for for different areas. But there are clearly regulations around data security when you have uh, when you're taking personal information, and that's a that's a vital thing that that spreadsheets are notoriously poor at uh, at managing well because they're just not designed for it. Yeah, and then you have to think about who has access to the information. When you have a database, you can give people different levels of access uh, as long as you set it up. I can have, I can be able to look at certain information uh, and edit it while you might be just be just be able to look at it uh, or might not even be look at it at all. Uh, so that's the benefit, whereas a spreadsheet, oftentimes whoever has access to it can do whatever it is they want to it. Um, so let me, let's let me just, uh, so we've got security and we've got the sort of complexity of the data. Um, but again, I think, I think even if you move your program sort of roster and the data that your, your data collection uh, off Excel and into either a database you create yourself or some uh, software and app of, of some sort, Spreadsheets still have a role to play in evaluation and understanding the data, don't they? Yeah, um, a lot of times people still, what I've seen, especially if you want to create like nice visuals, I'm very big on data visualization because uh, it makes the information more approachable. And a lot of times people still like download the information and put it in Excel um, so that then they can create a nice PowerPoint uh, because it, it's just much more flexible, the type of data visualization, mm -hmm. and people are, are used to making graphs and, and charts and pre-visualizations in PowerPoint. So people a lot of times still will download the information into some sort of spreadsheet. Uh, but what the difference is that you're just pulling the information you need. As opposed to right, yeah, being very selective, or you're 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 taking summary data. So you take mm -hmm. uh, you take numbers that relate to a whole group of people, rather than every single person's record, and then dropping that into Excel and then trying to crunch all those things. Uh, but uh, but so there's still a role for for spreadsheets in terms of some analysis and as you said, data visualiz visualization and presentation to colleagues and stakeholders because without that loop. There's again, there's no value in collecting the data yeah, in the first if, place. If you're collecting the data and it's never seen anywhere, then it's really a sign that you should stop collecting that information oh, because data, you right. don't need. Yeah, um, right. and, and just not. And this isn't to say that everyone should move to a database. Uh, the vast majority of the work I do and the organizations I work with. Um, just use a spreadsheet um, and it can get you very, very far, especially things like I, I'm a big fan of uh, Google products. Um, so you can use Google spreadsheets and then that information can go into something called Data Studio, which is Tableau, um, but, but for Google. Uh, really? And so okay. it, yeah. look at that. I got to check that one out. That yeah, be so fun. it's very flexible um, and there's ways where you can use like a script editor where you can code whatever it is you want. Uh, so we're so geeking out now. Yeah. 
You're coding <laughs> your variable types and all sorts. Yeah, so it's very. The, I really like the, the the Google, I guess, environment because it's very. It gives you a lot of possibilities. Um, and now that there's Data Studio, you have like a free version of Tableau. But I will say that I think nonprofits get free access to Tableau as long as they apply and and do and do the, those sort of processes. So maybe you can get access to Tableau already and you can already use it. Uh, and yeah. Tableau also is free a access data to, uh, to, to Salesforce and some other uh, mm -hmm. really heavy hitters in terms of uh, in terms of their power and what they can do. The, the challenge is the, the, the cost in maintaining them or using them is not in the software license, which is free. Uh, it's actually in having the skills to, to use them well uh, and, and get out of them what you put into them and, and so on. And that, that I know a lot of uh, nonprofits have uh, reverted back to simpler tools simply because it costs them so much to get the best out of some of the, the sort of well-known data tools and data databases. So it's, it's getting that yes. balance right again, isn't it? Yes, it's if you don't have the resources to maintain it, then it might not be the worth the initial investment because it is a steep learning curve for a lot of people. And then on top of it, you need to maintain it. So if there's staff turnaround, you need to tr be able to train new people. Um, I'm a part of a lot of Facebook groups about nonprofits. And I remember once there was somebody who said, Oh, is anyone out here who's, uh, I think they said a Salesforce whiz who can volunteer for us. And, and, <laughs> and, and everybody was like, uh, those two things don't go together. Uh, right. It's a full-time job. Uh, um, yeah. So it's yeah. something to, to keep in mind uh, that you, if you want to maintain, if you want to go down that route, you have to have the resources to maintain it. Otherwise, you're not going to be using the information in your database because you're not going to be able to easily get it out when you need it. Right. So in answer to the question, as we sort of draw to a close with this sort of main event mode before we move into tables and discussion or mingle mode, as I like to call it on, uh, on this Yapmi platform, uh, the answer to the question, when are spreadsheets no longer good enough, uh, is when it, it, it could be quite early on in a program's life if you've got lots of program participants and need to capture lots of data about them. But you could still use spreadsheets uh, for the analysis if you're able to uh, extract some summary data from your, from your database. If you don't have a huge number of participants or your program isn't terribly complicated, your spreadsheets could actually last you quite a long time, mm -hmm. uh, is what I think I hear you saying. Uh, and, and ultimately, the key thing about uh, collecting, maintaining, and using data is Restrict yourself to what's really useful. <laughs> don't don't collect things for yeah. the sake of collecting, uh, because that's there's there's lots of costs involved in even just cleaning up uh, and knowing what's useful uh, uh, amid a mass of of numbers and and words and terms and columns and rows is is um, quite intimidating and 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 costly too. Yes, and I would say I think the hesitancy people have is we we've been collecting this this whole time. I don't want to stop because then I don't have the longitudinal information. Like I can't track it over time. And if it's not useful, it's not useful. Um, so stop. No <laughs> That's stop. what I, I would okay. say. Yeah. Right. And saying, and, and let's riff on that word stop. We're going to bring this main event to a close. This has been Nonprofit Problem Solver episode 30. Uh, the second on this Yachtme virtual events uh, platform, which we're, which we're now using. 
Uh, it's free to nonprofits and uh, has lots and lots of functionality that's improving all the time. So grateful for Yapmi and PodPro Audio for uh, the support in producing this weekly podcast. Uh, we're here every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Uh, and we're booked all the way through the end of July 2021 and then picking back up in September. Uh, lots of interesting guests uh, and, and conversations to be had. But we're going to move over to uh, Mingle Mode and uh, speak to whoever we're able to... Um, uh, whoever whoever's interested at the at the tables and uh, just want to say thank you to Michelle Molina my guest and just to remind people before we uh, turn off the live recording where they can find you online oh yeah so um, I think the easiest way is to go to my website so connectingevidence.com um, I also have a YouTube channel so the name of that is connecting evidence and I'm on LinkedIn a lot um, so just look for my name Michelle Molina and um, I'm also on Twitter, and my handle there is connecting data, but I'm on there less. Okay, so thanks everyone for joining uh, the Nonprofit Problem Solver live broadcast. Uh, and if you're listening to this as a podcast, then I hope you subscribe, and uh, we will see you in the next episode. Thanks everyone. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Problem Solver podcast. My guest today was Michelle Molina, who you can find at ConnectingEvidence.com. This podcast has been expertly produced by Glenn Munoz at PodPro Audio. Making professional podcasting easy, go to PodProAudio.com. You can join future conversations live by visiting NonprofitProblemSolver.com. Connect with Kev on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. For more information, visit kevkayat.com because good causes deserve better results.